Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Publishing Lane with your host, Margie Lane Klubine, Executive Director of Bright Integrity Press. Hi, this is Publishing Lane and I'm Margie Lane Klubine. I am delighted to spend the next hour with you talking about writing. But before we start on our topic tonight, um, I want to share something really special with you. See, today is a special day. This is launch day for a brand new book by one of our authors, Betty Thomason Owens. This is the third and final book of her legacy series. It is such an amazing series. Three generations of romance, three generations of tragedy, three generations of suspense, and, and it is just such an excellent series and so this third one is set in the 1940s Um, this book has clean and wholesome romance it has touches of suspense and an unexpected mystery I absolutely adored it Um, and today only just today today only so if you're listening to this later I'm so sorry this isn't a special for you however today only this book is only 99 cents to celebrate its release we are trying to blast it off on Kindle so grab it and then come back because you'll want to listen to us but you want to grab this book tonight okay but that's not all so before you go the second book of this series is also on sale it just happens to be our um it just happens to be from our We Love Our Readers uh, our, re- our readers specials that we do every week. We do our We Love Our Readers specials. Yeah, I'm actually having trouble talking, but I can get it out. Um, our books that are on 99-cent sale. So the second book of the series is called Carlotta's Legacy. It's on 99-cents today. And then the first book of the series for celebration for our third book's release, it is free today. So this legacy series, it spans, like I said, three generations of strong women struggling against insurmountable odds, against political and personal upheaval, um, against themselves and against their families, against the men that love them. Oh, and those are really cool. So you can own this entire series for less than two bucks today. That's Seriously, less than $2. Amelia's Legacy is the first one, and that's the one that's free. Carlotta's Legacy is the second one, and that's $0.99. And Rebecca's Legacy, that's the one who's having the birthday today. Rebecca's Legacy is launching today, and it's only $0.99. And today only, that one will never be back down to $0.99, at least not, not for a whole long old time like years. So I hope you'll not only take advantage of the special, but then we're going to have another release in just two weeks. And I'll tell you about that toward the end of the show. This release is going to be total suspense, and we're going to do that the very same way that we're doing um, our legacy release because it's the last of its series as well. Oh, I can't wait to tell you about that one. And I confess, I'll be honest, I could talk about writing and listen to others talk about writing all stinking day long, all the aspects of it. 
But before I blab on too much, let me introduce to you to my co-host. Faye Lamb is a multi-published author and a freelance editor, and I am so delighted to have her with me. Hiya, Faye. How are you? Hey, Margie. I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited for Betty, for Betty Thomas and Owen. I love her legacy series. I me fell too. in love with Amelia and with Carlotta, and I can't wait to read Rebecca's story. Oh, and she's a hoot. Oh, and our readers, our, our listeners need to know that if you want some well-written literature, Betty's are the ones to get. She has such a vivid way of writing, and she brings the reader right into her story. So run out and get those copies. You can't go wrong. Oh. I totally agree with you, Faye. I totally agree with you. She is, she is such a way of writing that it just, it, I just, it just is. It, it I can't even describe it. Sometimes it's so gentle, and sometimes it is vivacious, and it just there. It's perky, and her character is just total spunk. I absolutely love Rebecca. I was just telling them how much I love talking about writing. I mean, all the elements of a writing career. What about you? Writing and story elements, they're my two favorite topics. Well, last week I was I spent some time with Lena Nelson Dooley. She's a local gal, and she was talking about some of the books that she's written and some that she's still writing, and I was just riveted. I, I went to lunch with um, my writing Amigas, we call ourselves the three amigas when we're not critiquing each other. When we're critiquing each other, we're the slaughterhouse three. We're really rough on each other. But Jackie Castle and Patricia Pack, Jack Carroll, um, I went to lunch with them and we spent hours talking about everything like current projects to sales to covers and blurbs to marketing and, produ- and promotions. I got to tell you, I was in hog heaven, I was just soaking it all in. Yeah, I haven't had the opportunity to teach lately, but I miss standing up in front of a continuing ed workshop and sharing practical tips and watching. I like to watch the attendees, their eyes light up, and there's just something about having that that companionship in writing that just gets you going. And I uh-huh. even love attending the classes and having the light bulbs come on me. So talking writing for me is just my favorite pastime. I agree. I agree. And that's what this hour is all about, more often than not. I mean, sure, Faye and I are going to give some tried and true ideas for writing novels, but we're going to be talking writing to people who enjoy listening about writing. Writers just get other writers. I'm not joking. There's just some kind of invisible bond, don't you think? Um, yeah, I do. I, I remember the day, and I've, I've told other people about this. It's not been too long ago when I realized for the first time that my husband of almost 30 years, I looked at him one day, and I was talking about my stories, and he had this blank look on his face, and I said, don't you tell yourself stories 24-7? And he looked at me. He had no idea what I was speaking about, and I was kind of floored. And I sat there in silence for a minute, and I looked at him, and I said, what do you think about what goes through your brain? And he could not tell me. And I'm telling you, when I, I am always living in a story, my brain is always working on a story. And I just don't know what people who don't write, what they do. 
<laughs> I have to tell you, yeah, that things like that have changed for me. Now, I remember a time when Paul, my husband and I, we were, we were first married and we were talking about, you know, it, we were sitting at the at the breakfast table and I was trying to be the good little wife and get breakfast. And I was talking. So I, I said, well, I dreamed and I started telling him all about the story that I dreamed. I can't remember that part of it right now. And I'm like, what did you dream about? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm thinking, what? You don't know? I've been told since that in a man's mind, it's like crickets playing badminton. They just, they're not really thinking about anything. It just kind of goes back and forth. So I, I'm guessing that that's all it is. I'm probably wrong, but, but that's what I've been told anyway. <laughs> uh, but I will say, since I started editing, the stories aren't always with me anymore because I'm so busy reading other people's stories that my own don't just hover around me. Like when I'm driving down the road, I'm thinking of the next story that I'm editing and what that story is about. And I'm not thinking about my own stories anymore, which I used to, I mean, I'd drive down the road and I'd actually be on some farm in 1700, you know, with living out a story as I'm driving down the road. So it's really scary. You, nobody wants to drive around me now, I'm sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> So anyway, speaking of writing, let's do a super quick run through of where we've been because we're getting pretty close to the end. Yay. Okay. I will start this off. We started this discussion with the initiation and that part of the story includes the introductions of both main characters. They not that we don't even just say who they are, but their fears, their goals, their values and the lie or lies that they might believe. That uh -huh. section, the introduction section also, or initiation section, also includes a door of no return that the main character must walk through. Like when Luke Skywalker told Ben Kenobi that he couldn't go with him on the journey. We were talking about Star Wars, if you've been with us, Star Wars, The Princess Bride, and Beauty and the Beast. Uh -huh. um, and in Star Wars, Skywalker... Luke Skywalker tells Ben Kenobi he can't go on the journey. He almost doesn't step through that door of no return that's so important. But then he found his uncle and his aunt had been killed and decided to go on the journey. So it's very important to note that the door of no return isn't an exaggeration. What occurs must keep the reader or the, the reader, keep the character <laughs> from stepping backward. Because if he steps backward, you really have no story. Right. That section is going to be followed by a plan because once they step through that door, they have to have something, a goal, a plan, even if it's just something that they start working on, um, even without necessarily talking it out or making an official written out plan. Um, sometimes that plan is going to be real well thought out. I mean, they actually will spend time saying you do this and you do that. But it's more in other stories it's more haphazard uh, but this section is going to make the goal of the main character clear and it's also going to reveal a deeper problem um, the deeper problem is not just an obstacle it is it is a it's an essential that's going to keep the main character from realizing his or her goal unless something changes and from that, we're going to lead to go into the minor crisis. The plan fa fails and twists and subplots distract the main character. 
Like in Star Wars, while Han Solo, Han Solo and his crew are attending, uh, they're attempting to escape from the Imperial cruisers. Leela <laughs> learns of her pending execution and then watches the destruction of an entire planet. This section ends with something very good, or like in this case, in the case of Star Wars, something really bad. In other words, the minor crisis might be a false glimmer of hope, or it might compound the major crisis. What's important to note is that it must move the story forward. You can't yes. drop this minor crisis into the story and create a momentary uh-oh that has nothing to do with the story. Whatever right. the minor crisis is, it has to move and be a part of the major plot, even if the readers are not yet made aware of it. And it cannot happen too late in the story or it will feel like a drop-in maneuver. We want to avoid those. Yeah, and I want to comment. That was really well put, Faye, because I want to comment a little bit on this. Um, I'm calling these kind of – I'm calling all of these um, sections writing bones. Uh, and it's like an outline. It's like a skeletal outline for your novel. All the little sections inside each – large section or inside each bone there are nine bones in all and all the little sections or subsections inside them they can be rearranged however you need them but all Mm -hmm. the bones really do fall into place in order and if you get them out of order you might end up having a problem with this and I'll tell you about the minor crisis when that comes up early or if it comes up more than once and I've seen that it'll Mm -hmm. make your story episodic Episodic yes. meaning think of a television television program where um, in one hour, uh, Perry Mason, the problem comes up, the problem goes down, the problem is solved. The next problem comes up, the problem goes down, the problem is solved. That's episodic, and your novel does not need to be episodic. Now, yeah, there are going to be extra uh, obstacles that come in and extra solutions to some of those obstacles that go out. But in all, your tension and your conflict and your stress level or the reader's stress level needs to be arching upward to the, to the, toward the end of the book. It needs to keep amping upward. So each of your little minor crises, as they were, and like Faye said, it could be a false glimmer of hope or it could compound the major crisis. Each of those, each time you have a little twist or something of that sort, it has to forward the plot. It can't just be an aside. Oh, and then, by the way, this happened. You know, that's, that's where it gets to be episodic. So that was extremely well put, Faye. I love the way you talked you. about the fact that it could be, like you said, a false glimmer of hope, something positive, or it could be a major crisis. And there will only be um, one of these bones. So you're only going to have one minor crisis, but that doesn't mean you won't have other twists and other complications throughout your story. And there will be those. So the next part then we're halfway through the book is the reflection. And the reflective part is called this because at the very end is a reflective moment. Um, you have uh, through complications, through the, the character takes a brave step forward um there is some kind of an exposure either a virtue or a flaw in the main character some unexpected virtue like han solo had absolutely no virtues and then until suddenly 
gee, he might have a virtue there. Um, it, it comes out and it's not expected. It's easy to find flaws in the main character and those get exposed one way or another. The character is led to a point where they can witness that the lie that they've always held on to is indeed a lie. Truth might even be totally exposed, but for whatever reason, the character doesn't believe it, doesn't doesn't turn, doesn't uh, grasp it, they continue to hold on to the lie. They continue to remain in the state that they're in. In Star Wars, for instance, Luke has been taught, taught, I can talk, I really can, I promise. Luke has been taught all his life that he is kind of unimportant, disposable. He wanted to be someone. He wanted to be... uh, strong and make his uncle proud he wanted to prove to his uncle that he was someone and at this middle point in the movie his mentor Obi-Wan Kenobi has been killed and Luke begins to think that all that he's been trying to do is a waste of time he can't make a difference the section ends this particular section this bone ends usually smack dab in the center of the book with some kind of false apex, an ending, um, or what could be an ending. Like, for instance, Obi-Wan Kenobi just died, and the other four all were able to escape. That makes an ending to the story, if they wanted it to be that way. But it's really actually just a new beginning. Um, Now, Faye, you don't do this you don't do the planning stuff that I do. So I want you to chat a little bit about this reflective part because you have a little bit of a different perspective on it. Well, it's just the way that I have, because I really, and we'll talk about it. I know we're, we planned on talking about it at the end, but I, in my way of thinking, because as I've been going through this, because I'm a pamster, Margie's a planner and I'm a planner. Yes, I have realized I've done these things in my books. I hope so, or maybe Margie wouldn't publish me. But um, <laughs> so, I, I, so I have done these things, but it's an, it's an unconscious thing on me, but yet I teach. And I'm realizing that what I'm teaching and what I'm having, I've had trouble grasping. And as we've gone along, I've, I've got a hold of it. This is what I do, but this is what I call it. For me, so the what, Yeah, what do you call this one? Yeah. I call it an explosion. Think Gosh. of a calamity. It's, a, it's not, not the explosion, not the reflection. The reflection is actually the setup. We are setting up the reader for the truth to be exposed. And yeah. that, when those truths are exposed, they don't really resolve everything because there's going to be fires to put out. So right now, we're, we're prior to my explosion, we're setting the reader up for an explosion. So I that's see. where we are. If I'm a, if I'm a seat of the pants writer, that's what I'm doing. I'm in the setup mode right now. So that leads us to last month's topic. Yes. And that is tell the us about ch- that one. Yeah. That is the change of plans. And it is exactly what it says. The plan has been failing all along through the first half of the story. They get to the point, to this point, and they have to change something, something drastic, like fighting back. This section, this is the change of plans. It has twists and choices, but it's most 
important section is the final one. Have you ever noticed how on a roller coaster ride before the big plummet, there's a high point? I think we all have noticed that. The oh, yeah. high point not only gets the, the roller coaster ex- acceleration where it needs to be to complete the course of loops and spins, but it also makes the low point that if that low point becomes much more dramatic for us. That's the first section of last month's bone, the minor victory. The main character or characters have been struggling. We need to toss them a life preserver or a bone, if we're talking about a skeleton, (laughs) to keep them moving forward. So the last month definitely makes this month's topic stand out. Um, Last month's topic, like she said, we're replanning, and the last section of that is actually a little minor victory. Um, And and I'll talk about where we ended with all our movies um, in just a sec, but it, it makes this month's topic stand out, and as well it should, since we're getting so close to the end. So this, t- this month, we're talking about the calamity, and it generally happens right before, like, a rally or a final battle scene. Um, so now that we've been sharing all these sections, I'll tell you, they're, they're like I said, our riding bones, our skeletal sections. We're using three pretty popular movies that Faye mentioned, Star Wars, um, and that's what we've been talking about, and then The Princess Bride and Beauty and the Beast. So we're going to keep that up through today. But first I have a question that we received, and, and I'm, we're going to take a little aside because it happens to do with this very subject. Um, Donna writes, there are a lot of little elements under each of these sections or bones. Do they always have to be there, and are they always in the same order? I kind of mentioned that already just a little bit ago. The answer is no. Certainly they don't have to be in the same order. I think you'll find as you read that they are usually pretty close to the same order or as you watch movies you're going to find them pretty close to the same order but you're also going to find example after example that they appear in while they appear in the same section they they aren't all in the same order and they won't come first and this comes second and this comes third do they all have to be there well no again because that depends on your genre and the size of your book. So if you're actually, if you're writing short stories or if you're writing novellas, chances are you're going to probably have close to all the nine bones. Um, Even in a short story, you'll have all the nine bones, but not many, if any of the subsections, if you're writing a short story, novellas will probably have a lot of the missing sections as well, but they'll still have all the right, all the nine bones most regular fiction are going to include all of these bones and a lot of the subsections sometimes there'll be even extra subsections there'll be extra twists there'll be extra complications Uh, those are things that can be duplicated as long as they're duplicated correctly and that was a really good question and i wanted to um add something for Donna and our listeners too, because we've all heard of this mysterious thing called an author's voice. And a lot of times people go, what is that? And you really, they think that you can't really define that voice, but you will know it when you pick up a certain writer's book. If I pick up Betty Thomas and Owen's book or Elizabeth Noy's book, I know their books because I know their, their author's voice. 
And right. it not, that's not the same as author intrusion. Um, I right. re- recently spoke to a good friend, and she's another editor-in-chief, and we were talking about this, every th- this very thing. When we learn the elements of storytelling, which are separate than our bones here, we place them into the formula, the formula that Margie is teaching and that we're going over. That's a formula, uh-huh. and that's not a bad thing because a lot of publishers love formula. The way um, we personally place those elements in the story, though, is what develops our authors' voices or our writing voices. And I, right. I never thought of myself as a formula writer. I'd tell myself, you're not writing Hallmark movie material. But the uh- truth is, I am using formula. I just, I was taught it and I have, I don't sit down and draw it out in, a, in an outline or anything like that. But I follow a formula. I just uh-huh. find a different way to present it within the confines of what we're talking about today. In other words, I'm not as rogue as I always <laughs> felt myself to be. You're <laughs> not near the rebel. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> That is funny. Well, thank you for the question, Donna. It fits perfectly with tonight's comment or with tonight's topic. And if you happen to have, those of you that are listening, if you have a question like Donna did or even a comment, email them to Faye and me at downpublishinglane at gmail.com. Now, remember that Lane in this case is my middle name. So it's L-A-I-N-E. So it's downpublishinglane, L-A-I-N-E at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to tonight's topic, though. This is the calamity. So going back to our roller coaster comparison, this section really starts the plummet that's going to result in the end of the story. Plot should pick up speed as we're moving toward the end of the book. So we're segueing for this little minor victory, this little bump, this up, upper up, upswing of the last section. In the movies that we're analyzing, these victories were just like feel-good moments. They weren't huge things. They were just feel-good moments. So, for instance, in Star Wars, Luke was welcomed to the Resistance. One of his friends from his home planet of Tatooine recognizes him, and he applauds him and accolades him in front of everybody else for being an outstanding pilot. Um, all the rest of the fighter, fighter pilots are slapping him on the back and, yay, I'm glad you're here. And so this was just a feel-good moment for him. Um, in Beauty and the Beast, Beast has released Belle. This is what she wanted all along. She has finally realized her goal of freedom. Um, and if if you're familiar with the movie, and of course you are familiar with the movie, there's a little bittersweet there. But she has realized her goal of freedom. It is a a minor victory. Um, and it's a minor victory because what she finds out we're going to talk about tonight. But then in Princess Bride, it has all seemed lost. All of the things that they believed were absolutely false and everything, it's all lost. But this, but in the last section, it ends with a possibility of help from an unexpected source. Two of the kidnappers from earlier in the movie have reunited. But this time their objective is to bring down this six-fingered man that uh, Inigo keeps talking about. And it just so happens, and the, the 
detective, the movie watcher, knows that the six-fingered man works for the prince. And so if these two can turn on the six-fingered man, they'll also be attacking uh, the very same villain who is tormenting Buttercup and Wesley. So in all the stories, this whole section starts out with a little gleam of hope. But that's all about to be dashed against the rocks. Yeah. Remember I said that I think of the reflection as a setup for an explosion or the calamity in a story. That's yep. what the dashing against the rocks is all about. I heard somewhere that a novel is actually really a story that chases the main character up a tree and then throws rocks at them. <laughs> and we're about to do a little rock throwing in this section, aren't we, Faye? Yes, we are. <laughs> um, this section begins with another complication. Now, a complication, we have to know, is different from a twist. A twist is something that is unexpected, that is kind of dropped into the plot for a shock, but I don't like that word I said dropped in, it's, you've kind of hinted at it. It's not coming out of nowhere. There's a hint that something could, right. be, could be a twist. Um, while it will have an effect on the story, usually the resolution of the twist is, a, is fairly quick. A complication is more like something that has been known about for some time, something that's not really a surprise, but when it happens, it throws the plot into a new direction. Think of it like a curve in the road. You've seen the signs and you know it's coming, but when it finally arrives, the whole scenery changes as if a bomb has been dropped yeah. on the characters, laying things bare for them and leaving fires to put out, hence my explosion picture. Yeah. That's what a complication does. Our movies give excellent examples of these. For instance, The Princess Bride. The prince, who the watcher or the audience knows is a scoundrel, has planned the kidnapping of Buttercup and the torture of Wesley. He now shows his ultimate goal. He's going to kill Buttercup and blame it on a neighboring country. His goal has never been to marry Buttercup at all. All along, that all he's wanted is to rule over both kingdoms. After blaming the death of his bride on the other country, his people will wage war against them and destroy the ruling families to allow him to take their throne. Sorry, I kind of got my, I had a little senior moment there. <laughs> That's okay. The scoundrel. What a scoundrel. He is. Uh, and so he is, he reveals in this particular scene, he absolutely, he actually reveals his true self, something he always was. But we just didn't realize the extent of it. Um, in Star Wars, it's the same thing here. Han Solo has received his reward. Princess Leia gave him all the money she promised to give him. And now he's leaving. Well, there's no surprise. He's always been in it for the money. Princess Leia pegged that a few scenes back when she told him that if gold was the only thing he loved, he'd have plenty of it. And so as Luke prepares to battle against the Death Star, and Han thinks that's suicidal, he actually tells Han to take care of himself and follows it up with this comment. I guess that's what you're best at. What a jab. But it's true. Um, Han has always shown very little change of character when he says to Luke, uh, well, before I tell you about that part, Han has always been leaving, but they actually thought maybe he'd stay. 
But Han does show a little bit of change of heart because he says to Luke, may the force be with you. Um, that's not something he ever really cared about or believed in. And I, and then he still climbs in the Millennial Falcon and he flies off. So he still leaves. And we knew he was leaving, but it does change everything. And then there's Beauty and the Beast. The Beast is there and has been there all along. But as Bella arrives in town, he she finds Gaston attempting to take her father away. Gaston claims he's crazy because he's talking because he's talking about a beast. With a magic mirror, Belle shows them the beast that he's real and that and he really is there. So they should release her father. Again, this is something that's always been there, but the revelation of it changes the game. You can see yes. the explosion. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was I was just going to comment. Yeah, the beast has always been there, but the people in the town never realized it. Go ahead. Keep going. Okay. Well, I w- you can see the effects of the truth becoming fully known in each of the movies. With right. Princess Bride, the prince's action shows his greed and his willingness to use other people as pawns. In Star Wars, Hans hasn't really changed, but Luke, Leah, and the audience had hopes that he would change. The fact yeah. that he hasn't is disheartening, and the Resistance could sure use Hans' ability and the Falcon to fight against the overpowering nemesis. The explosion in Beauty and the Beast is very obvious. What do you think is going to happen to Beast? No, he's the Beast. Things that, yeah. have happened. Things are laid bare now. We have fires to put out. Right, and that's where the results of the complication are realized. Now, the difference between, again, between complications and twists, a twist has an effect, and it'll have results, too, and resolutions, too, but it has an effect, but a complication has a result because the result carries on. The twist of a, the effect of a twist is kind of immediate, and it doesn't hover over the plot but in a complication it that that result that um that reaction or effect in this case as well it carries on and so that's why i have a different word for it that rather than just a glimmer glimmer of effect um these are usually parts of a scene in your novel now they can be whole scenes but they're more often not uh, they're more often just kind of a segue between one thing and the next. Um, this is, and, and what I'm talking about here is this is the next section of this bone. You've had this huge complication. This next section being the result of the complication is, is generally a segue to the next thing. It's, it's usually brief, especially at this point in the book. Now, earlier in the book, the results of complications can be a lot longer. They can be whole scenes. They can even be more, more than one scene of reaction to something that happens. But in this case, where we are right now, this is more of a segue than anything else. Um, it's all, and it's all part of the calamity bone. So in Beauty and the Beast, the the revelation of the beast scares the townspeople. Obviously, we'll talk about explosion, like Faye was saying. Um, they now realize that there's this horrible beast, this horrible monster that they never knew was ever there, and he's living just right over there. Um, it gives Gaston an opportunity to quench what he's always had his thirst for battle. He loves the fight. And so he ends up stirring up a riot. He locks Belle in the very same rolling cell that her father's in. 
His goal is about to come thoroughly to fruition. He likes the fight. It's why he wanted to marry Belle in the first place, because she didn't want to marry him, and he wanted to conquer her. It's why he loves to hunt. It's why he's famous as a warrior. The fight is the focus for him. But Belle changes the game by breaking out. Um, And so this is, again, this is the segue between the townspeople finding out there's a beast and what comes next. Yes. And for me, this section and the one following are akin to the prior setup for the explosion. This one is the setup for the preparation to stomp out the fires that have been set ablaze by the explosion. These sections set the characters in place so they begin to move toward the conclusion of the story. In Beauty and the Beast, Belle's escape paves the way. In Mm -hmm. Princess Bride, Buttercup realizes that the prince is a jerk. That is an understatement. She changes everything by declaring that not only will she not marry him, but she's not beyond suicide if he forces her. And Margie has stated this in previous things. Buttercup is what the audience would call a waif. She doesn't truly take proactive measures to save Wesley, but in all fairness, she thinks he's dead. Her non-action paves the way for the two once villains, these two people that have come over to the nice side, to stumble upon Wesley. And that is a setup. That is a setup for the putting out of the fires. Now, I want to I want to. Oh, uh, no, okay, wait, before you, before you go off of this one, in Prince of Bride, you're absolutely right. And I've said it before, Buttercup is a waif. Ah, she just, everything happens to her, nothing, she doesn't do anything. But a waif, the thing about a, the character of a waif is they have a spine of steel. <laughs> and they don't necessarily take action on things, but they can stand. And in this, this yeah. is where Buttercup, in this particular scene, in this particular area, Buttercup is standing. She is yeah. taking that stand. Yes, I agree. Okay, I'll go forward. In Star Wars, Hans, right. his leaving confirms to Leia that he's never really cared about her. She's fond of Luke. So not in love with him, but he stayed. She gives him a kiss for good luck. Then she and C-3PO wait in the surveillance room. From there, they can see the monitor of the battle and also see the approaching Death Star. It will be able to fire on them in a matter of minutes, an obvious setup for the action that will be put into play to stamp out the major fire, which is the Empire. Right, right. Through, Through the subsection is the effect of the complication. It's more the immediate effect. I'm sorry, I was though the subsection is the effect of yeah. the complication, it's more the immediate effort. I am really having a brain fog tonight. That's the okay. Has changed because of the complication. Right. And that change, that detour will continue playing into the apex and finale of the story. The continuation results in the stomping out of the fires that were caused by the explosion um, of the complication. Right. So Margie, what and this, do you have? Well, at, at this point, there's kind of a dip in the action. Getting back to the roller coaster, you know, it's veered off to one side, and now it's taken a little dip. Now, at Six Flags here in Dallas, there is a coaster called the Titan. I, I'm, I used to be a roller coaster rider. I, I haven't been to Six Flags in a long time, but I rode every roller coaster there. Um, and 
one of the last ones that I ever really enjoyed was the Titan because it goes from a soaring height. At the time when it was built, it was the tallest. Um, and then it plummets, and it plummets into a basement. I mean, it literally goes underground. goes from that soaring height to not just a fall, but even a little further than a fall. It doesn't even go to the ground. It goes under the ground. And that's kind of what this is. That this is. The coaster does come back out on the other side, though. So there is another nail in the coffin, but there's reason to hope. And so that's what this particular section is. It's a little, it's a little bump. It's, it gives us a reason to hope. In Star Wars, it's kind of subtle. Ben's voice is in Luke's head. And Ben's trying to encourage him that the Force will be with him. Um, use the Force. Convinced he can do this. It's almost like using the Force is accepting that he's not good enough. And that's what he's always been battling against. It's a slam, but still hope that the Force is good enough to help him is there. There's still a little bit of hope. And in Beauty and the Beast, the servants realize they're being invaded and try desperately to push them out. At first, they're desperately trying to defend their castle, strengthen it to keep the townspeople out. Anyone can see this is a lost cause. The townspeople are determined to break in, and they will continue to try until they succeed. That's a slam. But when the servants back off and they allow the townspeople inside, they're going to be able and they are able to fight with them in their own unique way and take them all by surprise. I have to tell you, Faye, that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Either the, either the um, animated version or the, the real, the life version, the life, whatever it's called. Either one of those, that's my, one of my favorite scenes is to see the fight, to see the battle, because those poor townspeople, once they actually get into the cobra nest, they have no prayer. They just have no prayer. They think they're all, all that in a bag of chips, and they have no prayer. It's so much fun. And then in Princess Bride, in Princess Bride, Inigo and Fezzik, those are our two kidnappers. They actually have been searching for Wesley, the man in black, because he was able to defeat them, and he thought they think that he can help them beat this six-fingered man. Um, but they, and they find Wesley, but when they find him, ah, he's dead. Okay, that's a low point. That's the basement. But they take him to Miracle Max. Have fun storming the castle. I'm sorry, I love Miracle Max. He is able to bring him back from almost dead. And the that scene is also one of my favorites, you know, where the the witch comes in and she's like, liar, liar. I love that part. Carol Kane, yes. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So she, so Miracle Max is able to bring him back from almost dead. There's a little bit of upswing. There's a little bit of hope there, but only a little bit because he's almost dead. (laughs) So we're on an upswing on all three of the stories. Um, This section this bone actually ends with an upswing. We're done with this particular bone, and it should end in an upswing with your story as well, because that upswing is going to end up. It's going to end up making that next bone all that much more dramatic. Um, now we've taken you almost all the way through your novel. There are only two bones left. Um, okay, wait. There are three bones left, but the third one. 
the final bone is going to kind of get tagged along with the last one I'm thinking. Um, Now, I'm a planner, but Faye is more of a pantser, which means she's called herself a pantser before, but I don't think we um, explained what that was. A pantser is a writer who, quote unquote, writes by the seat of their pants. That means that basically they put their fingers on the keyboard and go. Um, and just and just fill the page with all the things that they're thinking in my brain. Now, I can't write like that because, one, I have so bad of a memory. If I haven't written it down, I will have forgotten the name of my main character and just call her character <laughs> for the first four pages. Um, but the second thing is I love planning the book. I mean, that to me is the fun part is planning. Well, all of it's the fun part. But planning the book and getting all the little things just worked out perfectly before I ever start writing so that when I write, it just kind of flows off the page. But Faye is a pantser. And so while I will love all of this planning stuff, how can a pantser use all of this, Faye? Well, first of all, I want to I want to confess that Maybe I don't plan on the page, but remember I said that I have stories running through my head 24-7? You can uh-huh. very well bet that that story has gone through my brain, and I know a beginning, a middle, and an end of it. Now, what comes as a surprise to me are all the little twists and turns that are surprises to the reader because they become surprises to me. And I'm not saying that being a panster is the best way to write. It is if you don't mind editing and editing and editing again. Um, <laughs> Margie's way is a lot cleaner. And I really would, um, confession time, I do recommend that you, that you follow an outline if you're learning how to write because it's very important. Because to be a panster, you must be familiar with the elements of story. And that outline gives you the bones that we're talking about. And then you put the elements of story, which are a little bit different. We've talked about those before. There are such things. I have seven that I break down. Plot, pacing, conflict, character, dialogue, showing and not telling, and last but certainly not least, deep point of view. Once you know the elements and practice them, then a writer must know how to place them in a story. The best way for new writers to do this is to sit down and study what Margie has brought to the table, what we've been talking about, because that's important. Because when you send a book to Margie, it's going to be looking for that formula and for those elements. And the best way for you to learn to learn them is through that outline. But if you're a seasoned writer, kind of do what Margie's made me do. She hasn't known I've been doing this. I've been <laughs> looking at what she's presenting and going, aha, that's what I do. I call that an explosion. Um, a pantster who's been at the art for a long enough like me will fall into the structure without realizing that we've done it. This review has been helpful to me, like I said, because I've been able to have it set out for me. Oh, this is why you do this. This is what you call this. And now I'm able to keep track of my writing. And a person who is studying the craft will benefit from this review of structure. They can incorporate it into their story via something like James Scott Bell's lock system or another system that works for them, three by five cards or however they want to work. But first learn. It's like you can you can only break the rules once you know them. This yeah. is one of those things. You can only really learn how to write 
and throw that out once you really have an understanding of it. So I hope that yeah. helps people. Well, and I have to tell you, when I first started writing my very first novel, actually my first two or three novels now that I think about it, I used a storyboard. I went out to Walmart and got a science board because, I mean, I have children, and so I was we were going through school, and so I was very familiar with science boards. And so um, I would go out and get a science board, and I'd use sticky notes of different colors so that I'd have a sticky note for the heroine's. Um, character arc and I'd have a sticky note for the hero's character arc and then I'd have another color for the plot and so I'd have Mm -hmm. three different colors going on this arc so that I could write on each sticky note what is it that's happened right now so that uh, and I my my arc was actually an arc my story plot line went up uh, as kind of a a mountain like a mountain climbing thing Mm mm-hmm and got to a point and then came down just a little bit because there's falling action at the end of the book. And so that's how, that's just kind of how I visualized it. Um, I know for me now, I, I set up all these bones and all of the sections. I literally go into my Scrivener software. And if you're not familiar with Scrivener, I don't sell it. I make nothing about sharing it, but I love it as an organizer. And so I go into my, to the sections, I put all of my bones and all of my sections in my Scrivener software. And then I plug in the different pieces of my story that I've already gotten and see where my gaps are. So I can figure out, okay, I need to have something. I need to have segues here. Okay. I need to have, uh, I need to have another obstacle here. This is huge. I need to have another obstacle or, or they're going to be able to succeed. And when we can't have them succeed, that would be awful. Um, so the way that I end up setting it up, if you're familiar at all with Scrivener, I set up my novel and uh, I set up a, up a series of folders. Each of the bones is a folder. And in each bone folder are all the subsections um, or the parts of the bone um, in, in, in each folder. And they're all folders too. And then in those folders, I will have scenes. Usually, well, at least one scene, but usually there'll be, there'll be two scenes. Um, some of them even have three scenes, depending on what's happening. And so those are the actual writing, but it's all organized so that if I'm like, you know what, I don't think I need to put this complication here. I could pick up the whole complication and move it somewhere else and all the scenes that go with it instead of, you know, trimming cutting you know a paragraph here and a paragraph there i can literally pick it up and move it so that i'll see how the how the parts go and then be able to write into those parts and that's that's just kind of the way that i do it i think the biggest difference between a movie and a book is that you can live the movie without being in the main character's skin um but with a book uh, you can't really do that you kind of sort of have to become the main character the reader has to become the main character and for the reader to become the main character or characters if there's more than one pov the author has to become the main character or the main characters the author has to live through these scenes and Mm -hmm. visualize these scenes and and I, i was reading um uh betty noyce uh write suspense and she wrote an article for us the other day it was hysterical because in fact it's on our blog if you want to look at writeintegrity.com the blog tab um 
but her her article was talking about how she had gone through the book that's about that that was on sale last week. She had gone through that book, and as she was writing it, she couldn't get this one action scene right, and so she literally was laying on the floor trying to figure out how to make this action scene work. And her husband walked <laughs> in on her. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, fate worse than death. Somebody walking in on me while I've got a smile on my face from this scene that I'm writing. You know, <laughs> you just live it. You know, it's just too funny anyway I that's kind of uh you want to make sure that you get into the main character's skin so if as a writer you have to live um the scenes and that's called a point of view character so if you're reading a romance you'll need a point of view for the female lead and another point of view for the male lead that way you can alternate whose skin you're in and the reader can get to know both of the characters really really well so for that reason alone you might have more than one scene for each different um each different part of your bones each different section of your bones um take the introduction for example in my book ain't misbehaving i have a scene where the reader learns about Annalie and her plight with the court system. Boy, she is trouble from the word go. But the very next scene doesn't have anything to do with Annalie. The very next scene follows CJ, our hero, through a frustration, uh, through the frustration and insults that he endured when he has to join his father for a meeting. And it's a it's the board of directors for their family's charitable organization. Well, that's not a problem. He works for the charity, but his father is such a fuddy-duddy and always has to have his own way. And it's just horrible for CJ to have to to have to actually be there. Um, the scenes don't connect at all, but they satisfy the need for meeting the characters, the main characters. In each of the different scenes, you're learning about the different characters' goals, about their dreams, and about their fears, and they're absolutely necessary. So all this is to say that while you're writing um, and you're following our novel sections, be aware that some of the parts might need two or even three scenes to fully flesh out that specific part of the bone. Um, it's it's briefer with the visual of a movie because, you know, hello, we're watching a two-hour movie instead of reading an eight- to ten-hour journey into our imagination. Um, there's a big difference just in that. So we're getting close to the end, Faye. I know. I, it is crazy. We have come so far, but this is so much fun. And next <laughs> week, we're going to be talking a lot about characters. Um the all through this, I actually intimated that a minute ago when I was telling you that I used to use a storyboard um, before I started using Scrivener. I would have three different colors on it, one color for my hero, one color for my heroine, because I do write romance. I write romance and romantic suspense. And then I would have another color for my for my plot. Well, the plot is is the story that we've been talking about all through this but the hero and the heroine also have to go through some things and it's called yeah. their character arc and that you know most stories not all but most stories are going to have a change in their main character um in fact, I would say that almost all stories have to have a change in at least one of the characters. Now, somebody's going to say, oh, but, you know, look at Moby Dick. Well, okay, right. There are stories where there are some characters that don't change. But there, 
for the most part, our genre writing is going to have changes in the characters. I was talking about this, and okay, I was talking about this to our Bible study the other day. Frankly, change is part of life. Think about a flower. All a flower does is change all through its life. And when it stops changing, it's also dead. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing with us. Life is change. And we don't always like it. Sometimes they are little bitty changes that we don't even notice. And sometimes there are huge changes that we might even try to resist. But life is change. And it's the same thing with our books. Our characters are going to have to change. Even Han Solo, they're going to have to change. And so that's what we're going to be talking about next week. It's a wrap-up for the characters. It's been hovering over your plot all along. But we're, I say next week, it'll be next month. It's been hovering over your plot all along. And we're going to really focus on our characters next week or next month. I keep saying next week. You know, you want to meet again next week, say? <laughs> we can do that. Yeah, no. It's next month. Okay. It's on Tuesday, September 4th at 7 p.m. Central. And between times, remember, like we said, that if you have a question, you can write Faye or me at downpublishinglane at gmail.com. Remember that lane isn't a street. It's L-A-I-N-E. Okay, before we, before we close everything up, I promised you I was going to tell you about the other book that comes out later on this month. Um, I actually have already mentioned her. Elizabeth Noyce is an outstanding writer. She writes suspense. She writes action and adventure. And she has the final book of her series releasing in two weeks um and we're releasing it it much it is it is it it, jonas's jonas has finally got the front the the front page um he is he is delightful but her final book of her of her imperfect series is called imperfect promises her final book of her imperfect series visiting the cameron family one more time is releasing in two weeks and releasing it a lot like we've released um betty owens's book um the legacy series the way that we've ended the legacy series the very first book of the imperfect series is going to be free on the release day only on the release day and then the the Last book is going to be 99 cents only on its launch day, only on its only that day. So keep an eye out for that in the next two weeks. You're going to get a chance to get a big part of that series because there's one other book that's going to be only 99 cents of that five book series. You're going to be able to get a big part of that that series for only two bucks. Today, you can get a whole series for two bucks. I'm going back to this. Betty Owens is it's. Um, romantic it's history it's suspense it's got mystery in it it's three generations of these volatile strong women and it's called the legacy series the the book that came out today is called rebecca's legacy it is outstanding oh my gosh it is so good Faye, you're gonna love this book i'm telling you i I love Um, the other two it is only 99 cents today to celebrate its launch we're trying to blast it off and the first book of the series, Amelia's Legacy, is free. And Carlotta's Legacy with our We Love Our Readers, um, it is 99 cents also. So you can get that whole series for only $2. You need to do it, but it's only for today. Seriously, it is almost 8 o'clock Central. And I'm going to be changing those prices back to where they're supposed to be in about an hour. So make sure you get those books as soon as you possibly can within the next hour, hopefully. And we're done. Faye, do you have anything to add? 
Well, only that I think we've given our listeners a lot to think about until next yep. month. I hope that if they haven't been a part of the discussion, that they're going to go back and review with us in past blog talks. And until next month, I'm going to be praying that the Lord will bless y'all. Have a good evening. Well, oh, good evening to you too, Faye. Bye. To, to you and the rest of you guys, we're going to chat again in September, so make sure you join us then, and we'll see you soon. Keep writing. Blessings, y'all. This has been Publishing Lane with your host, Margie Lane Klubine, Executive Director of Write Integrity Press. If you'd like to learn more about Margie or her publishing company, visit writeintegrity.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-I-N-T-E-G-R-I-T-Y dot com.